Hi, I'm Mary C. Curtis, and this is Equal Time. The monuments to Confederate generals Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson were removed recently in Charlottesville, Virginia, where the 2017 Unite the Right rally turned deadly. The move was considered progress in a country confronting its past and its future when it comes to race and a legacy of inequality. But we've seen this before. Six years ago, in 2015, Malcolm Graham lost his big sister and best friend, Cynthia Graham Hurd. She was murdered by Dylan Roof after she and eight other Black parishioners at Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston had prayed with him. For Graham, a Charlotte, North Carolina city councilman and Charleston, South Carolina native, this racial reckoning is all too personal. After that tragedy, he worked with others to ensure the Confederate flag like the one Roof waved in photos and revered as he hoped for a race war, was removed from its place of honor on the South Carolina State House grounds. It's a flag that was raised atop the state's Capitol Dome, not in 1861, but 1961, a defiant signal during the Civil Rights Movement. More than 300 Confederate symbols and 170 monuments across the U.S. have been toppled since the atrocity in Charleston but nearly 1,900 Confederate symbols remain on display, according to the Southern Poverty Law Center. America is in the middle of debates on how to teach and remember its tangled racial history, on whether tighter gun control is a solution to violence, and on the most effective way to counter growing state-sponsored voting restrictions. Today, we get to talk to Councilman Graham, whose public service means looking out for constituents in his Charlotte district and thinking about the future of the American experiment. Inspired by his big sister's life and work, he has some ideas on what he and the rest of us need to do. Well, welcome to Equal Time, Councilman Graham. And I want to ask to start, may I call you Malcolm? Because full disclosure, I've known you for quite a while. Sure you can, Mary. (laughs) Okay, please call me Mary. Uh, I so appreciate you being with our Equal Time listeners. Uh, On on an interesting time right now that the country's going through, I want to talk about uh, a documentary uh, in which you offer commentary that's being shown on quite a few PBS stations. It's called Downing of a Flag. And it explores the relationship between South Carolina and in some ways the country. Uh, with the Confederate flag and all the lost cause history it represents. So how was the taking down of that flag from the State House grounds an end to that chapter? And how does that history still reverberate? Well, thank you for the question. And it's an honor to be with you and your audience uh, today. Uh, the the downing of the flag uh, and where it stood there and now is really interesting for me. Um, obviously. Uh, my sister, Cynthia Graham Hurd, was a victim at the Emanuel AME Church shooting some six years ago. I was born in, and raised in Charleston, South Carolina. And up, upon her death, um, immediately the, the, the perpetrator, Dylan Rue, had wrapped himself around the Confederate flag. His writings that uh, the FBI found online um, showed that he glorified the flag and that uh, he believed in, in the hatred meaning of the flag. And so uh, lawmakers and residents and, and others in South Carolina immediately began to say, we need to take down the flag. Um, individuals in South Carolina have been trying for over 20 years prior to the shooting 
the NAACP, the NCAA uh, took events away from South Carolina, all pointing towards the flag on the Capitol grounds. And uh, but for the death of Cynthia and eight others, um, I believe that flag will still be flying today. Yeah. And how do you think that history still reverberates, even though the actual flag is no longer in that prominent place? Well, you know, South Carolina is South Carolina. I was born and raised in the state, right? And so uh, you can remove the symbol, uh, but can you remove the um, the meaning of the flag and people, right, in their hearts and their mind? Uh, and so it's not only in South Carolina, I believe it's throughout the country that somehow, and I go back to the election and the re-election of Barack Obama, the first African-American president, that this hidden racism was buried uh, underneath the surface uh, upon his election and re-election. Uh, it, uh, it appeared for everyone to see uh, and that many people in our country, uh, specifically in South Carolina, uh, do not believe in the browning of America, the changing of demographics. Uh, they fought against that. And so that's what, you know, South Carolina and Cynthia's shooting was all about. It was about Dylan Rue not embracing the changing of demographics, deeply seated in, in hatred and roots um, governed by the Confederate flag. Well, we can bring that up even to this year. We saw on January 6th insurrectionists, many from states that were not even in the old Confederacy, they were carrying that same flag as they attempted to overturn the election results. Uh, while members of Congress even still were trying to discount votes, let's face it, from majority black cities and areas. When they say Detroit, Atlanta, Philly, we know what they're talking about. So how does the current spate of voting restrictions echo fights over the franchise in the 1960s? Uh, And what do you think the solution is to maintaining all these rights that were really hard fought, many in your state? Well, again, it's, it's complicated, right? I mean, I mean, you would think that we've taken three steps forward as a nation from the 60s to 70s to here we stand today in 2021. But it's like we took 20 steps backwards. Uh, unofficial barriers that prevent people of color from voting. Uh, if you live in the, the wrong zip code, uh, you receive an inferior education. Uh, many states throughout the South uh, do not want to expand Medicaid um, because uh, it's known as Obamacare. Um, unjust treatment in the criminal justice system. If you're black and, and get caught with a small amount of marijuana, you may get some jail time. If you're white, you get probation. And so the, the history of uh, African-American people overcoming seems to be dialing back because there seems to be a... Um, a, a, a not wanting, wanting to admit uh, that, again, our country is changing, the demographics is changing, and somehow we have to stop people of color at every turn. I want to talk a little bit about your sister, and, you know, you've passed this very personal, significant anniversary. We've all felt it, but for you, it is so personal uh, since the tragedy at Mother Emanuel. And I know you think about your big sister and best friend, Cynthia every day. So I'd like you to tell us about her and how she helped inspire you growing up and she inspires you still. 
Well, Cynthia Graham heard uh, her full formal name uh, was my big sister and uh, mother figure. My my mom died when I was about 21 years old. Cynthia was about five years older than I. And so Cynthia literally uh, raised me into young adult hill into being an adult. Um, she was a friend, um, the first in our family to go to college, um, play just sorority. Um, she was a role model. Um, um, the first in our family to get a master's degree. So she set the bar high for education achievement uh, and really worked in the community. Cynthia was not an elected official, but she was certainly engaged in community affairs. She was a, a librarian in the Charleston County Library for some 31 years. Um, that library now bears her name, the Cynthia Graham Heard, St. Andrews Regional Library. She worked at night for 16 years at the College of Charleston as the, the night librarian. So upon her death, she was working literally from 8 o'clock in the morning at 11, to 11 o'clock at night, not because she needed the money, because she just enjoyed um, being in the, the library environment. And the College of Charleston renamed their highest academic scholarship after Cynthia. So it's the Cynthia Graham Heard Memorial Scholarship. There's 12 in all. And so... She was personal, she was sharp, she was candid. Um, she was a caretaker, not only to me, but so many others in the Charleston community. Uh, and uh, she was she was my big sis, right? You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we talked about everything and uh, and and anything, and um, um, it's just someone that um, I looked up to, um, not only as a family member, but certainly as someone who. Um, led the way in so many in so many ways yeah and i know she also had a very special relationship with your daughters courtney nicole my daughters um i love um uh, aunt cynthia uh, uh, she would uh, occasionally um uh, send them a plane ticket to come to charleston from charlotte um to shop for a day uh and do so many other special things with them so the, the impact is just not only um to me, but it's, uh, my brothers and sisters, I have another sister, Jackie, three older brothers, the impact on, on them, um, our nieces and nephews, our extended family. Uh, Cynthia was the matriarch of the family, right? She mm-hmm. kind of kept everything together. She was the glue. And so um, it, it's, it's a big loss, not only for our family, but also for the Charleston community. Yeah. Now, what do you think she would say on where America is now, both the progress we've made and areas where, as a country, we still have so far to go? She would say that these are the best of times and these are the worst of times, right? And that, you know, she would uh, be so proud of um, Barack and Michelle Obama and what they were able to accomplish. She would be so proud of the advancement that that African-Americans are making and, and a number of fields of human endeavors. Um, uh, she would be grateful that Charleston is changing, right? Charleston's a different city from when we grew up in the in the seventies and the eighties to it is today. It's more of a uh, international city. Um, the the traces of of racism um, that was so blatant when we were growing up now is a little bit more subtle. Um, and so she would be pleased with that. Um, she would be disappointed about um, uh, the debates that we're having about truth uh, mm. and about uh, 
being accurate. So there was a, a researcher and a librarian as I said before. So facts mattered to her. Uh, and in this environment over the last five years where facts don't seem to matter anymore, where up is down and down is up and, and people blatantly lie um, and um, they believe that they can say it over and over again, that, that somehow that becomes true. Uh, she would be very disappointed about um, uh, these general assemblies throughout the country, again, rolling back uh, support for people of color like Medicaid, as I indicated. As an educator, a librarian, she would be so disappointed about uh, the disenfranchisement of African-American and students of color uh, in getting a quality public education. Um, so she, she would be torn uh, in terms of what happened in January 6th, right? She would just be disgusted about it. Um, mm -hmm. She would have choice words for Donald Trump <laughs> if she had a conversation with him because she was a truth teller and wore her emotions on her shoulders. And so she would be troubled by where the country's headed. Um, and um, the fact that there doesn't seem to be honest brokers on both sides to kind of call the truth the truth, right? She would be troubled by that. Yeah, I want to follow up on that about calling the truth the truth because, you know, we've seen the photos of the angry parents and school board meetings and state legislatures following up with laws on limiting how lessons about systemic racism and white supremacy are taught. So, Malcolm, what's at stake when children are shielded from uncomfortable truths? I, I, that, that we were bound to do it again, right? History is something that you have to embrace and understand and learn from. And if, if it's not taught because of critical race theory or, or because people are don't want their kids to be um, damaged by the truth, damaged by um, history, uh, it, it goes back to say, why is it that African-Americans and people of color who are the victims of discrimination have to be the one to make it right for mm -hmm. everybody else, right? So why do we have to fix it for for some um, white folks to make it feel comfortable for them um, to hear the truth? Uh, the truth is the truth, and I think we have a moral obligation, uh, yet a responsibility, uh, to teach um, uh, our history, um, Blemishes and all. Uh, it's not a perfect union. Um, um, no, I think if you go back and look at our history, racism uh, from the very beginning of our country has been a part of the fabric of who we are. Uh, when they came here and, and met the Indians, right? And so <laughs> it goes back, you know, centuries. Uh, and so I think we have to embrace who we are. False and all, but strive to build it better and more perfect union. Yeah. Yeah. I heard one young lady in school, African-American uh, girl say, listen, if we have to go through discrimination, other people should be able to hear about it, you know? <laughs> um, talking about something that's uh, terrible and uncomfortable truth right now, um, I know you've expressed concern about the issue of gun violence. Uh, and even there have been incidents in the Charlotte district you represent and how coming out of COVID, its residents are coping. So what are some of the solutions that you feel would be most effective in, in countering this trend that unfortunately is affecting many areas of the country with tragic results? Uh, you know, you know personally and for the people you represent, what guns can do. 
Well, it's troubling, right? Since Charleston, uh, there has been Orlando and Sutherland, Texas. There's been Pittsburgh. There's been a shooting in Las Vegas. Uh, there's been a shooting in California. Mass shooting, that is. Um, Pittsburgh at the synagogue. I can go on and on. And these are shootings since Charleston. They all go back to one thing, which is this proliferation of guns in our society with little or no regulation, right? And so the, the basic thing is just, um, uh, it, 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 it amazes me that you have to go and get um, car insurance to drive a car. Everyone is required to get a car insurance to drive a car, but you're not required to get a gun registration, right? It, it amazes me that uh, in 2021, you can still, an uh, 18 year old can go and buy a, a, a automatic shotgun that can fire over 50, 60 rounds within a minute. Uh, and so gun registration is one of those things. Um, it, it amazes me you can go to a, a, a flea market and, and buy a gun uh, and not have anyone question you, uh, asking for a registration or ID. You just go buy a gun. It just amazes me the lax laws we have around, around the ability to get a gun. Yeah. Well, also, um, you know, you're, you're a Democrat and the Biden administration, they've suggested strengthening the provisions on gun control and enforcement. And we, of course, know that Dylan Roof purchased his gun because there was that background check mix up. And so do you what more do you think the states and the federal government need to do on this issue? Well, I, I think we need to follow through, right, um, uh, with the recommendations from the Biden administration. And, and, and it's just not a a Biden administration recommendation is common sense recommendations, right? Mm-hmm. That I believe that both members of the, the aisle should embrace uh, because it's it's what's right for America. And so I would call on uh, the, the president, um, members of uh, our party, my party, the Democratic Party, as well as the Republican Party, to all come together and do what makes sense for America. And uh, people are dying literally. Um, Every other month, there's a mass shooting or more mm. people killed by gun violence. Uh, and yet we don't seem to have the fortitude to put common sense regulations in place. Do you think there's some other uh, things that need to be done? Because we've seen this spate of uh, violence uh, when it comes to guns and homicides in cities, though other crimes are going down. And it has affected even, as I said, your district. Um are there other solutions that we need to do, particularly with young people who seem to, that this is a really troubling problem? Yeah, one of the things that we're doing in Charlotte uh, in District 2, and I think they're doing it across the country as well, is just trying to prevent violence uh, before it occurs through violence interruption programs, right? Um, getting people on the streets, on the corner, who have a direct relationship with some of the individuals who may be gang members, who may be uh, just those people that they know in that particular community, um, to embrace them, to find a way to interrupt the violence before it occurs, right? To be able to talk with individuals uh, within their own language that they understand, um, to prevent uh, 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 things from escalating uh, so they can de-escalate them before they occur. And so we're working with Mecklenburg County here um, to on the ground uh, on Babies Fort Road um, through a violence interruption program uh, via Cure Violence, 
uh, that started in Chicago, uh, Illinois, they've done some work in Baltimore, as well as other mm-hmm. major cities. And I think that's a way to kind of get people, um, uh, they're helping you before they pull the trigger, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's uh, an approach that we're looking at in Charlotte, and we'll see how it works out for us. I love when you share stories of your sister's life, and I know that you're continuing her work through the Cynthia Graham Heard Foundation for Reading and Civic Engagement. So I'd like you to talk a little bit about what is its work and mission and how it represents what you want for the future of America and what she would want. Well, thank you. That's a great question as well. Um, you know, six years after Cynthia has passed, our goal and objective is to focus on how Cynthia lived versus how she died uh, and the things that she really cared about. And what she cared about was reading, literacy, uh, and civic engagement, being involved in the community. So we established the Cynthia Graham Heard Foundation for Reading, Literacy, and Civic Engagement. Uh, the goal and objective is in the title. Uh, to help with reading and literacy programs throughout the country, right? Uh, as well as um, be a, a convener of, of what I call uh, healthy tension conversations <laughs> that we need to have. And so for the last four years, we've been focused on um, book drives in Charleston, South Carolina, where we've collected over 50,000 books um, with our partner, reading partners. Then we redistributed in the Charleston community uh, for those um, kids at after-school programs and daycare programs who, who need them, a number of uh, workshops and seminars on uh, issues related to um, gun violence and uh, racism or uh, community involvement, anything that we're talking about in the community. Right. Has she inspired your, your choosing to return to public service because you were in the state legislature and, and now you're in the city council. And uh, is that part of uh, what she inspired you to do? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. And, and you missed a part, right? I, I did have that run for Congress that, that didn't work out. <laughs> and uh, we talked about, um, uh, I, I lost it. The only election I've, I've been in, uh, council by that time in public office for 15 years. Uh, I lost my first election when I first ran for city council back in the early 90s. Uh, but since then, I've won about at least 10, 12 elections in a row and uh, lost the congressional race. And uh, she was one of the first person to say, hey, you know, um, you, you you know, just because you lost, I mean, you have to quit doing what you're doing, just find another way to serve. And, um, and, um, and so she continu- uh, encouraged me to um, to keep using my public voice uh, for good, and uh, uh, and after she she passed, and um, you know we got through the trial and the um, uh, and just taking care of family affairs in Charleston, um, I decided to get back in public office. One to to use my voice to articulate um, things that I believe was important to her, uh, and um, I believe that I had something more work to do. And so um, getting back on the Charlotte City Council um, and uh, serving the citizens of District 2 uh, allowed me a platform to um, raise critical issues. Yeah. I want to ask you, Malcolm, because I can't ask all the questions. So what question have I not asked you that I should have? Because you have some important things you want to say on that issue. Well, I I, I guess the, the question is, and you've already asked it in a sort of kind of way, right? But it's, where, 
where do we go from here, right? Where, mm-hmm. where the, the fire gets down. Um, there are some people who, who supported the flight that coming down now are, are backtracking a little bit for, for political reasons. And uh, so where do we go from here? How do we get people to um, to be honest politically, right? Which is a tough question, right? And how do we do that? <laughs> I really want to know. <laughs> and I tell young folks all the time now that I, I'm getting older, uh, and people are looking for me for advice uh, on political matters. And I say this all the time. If you don't take a vote or or say something around the dais that doesn't put your seat in jeopardy, then you're not doing your job, right? And so I think that elected officials today have to be honest with themselves and the public, even if it means that they, they will probably be um, voted out of office. I can guarantee you right now, me and Liz Cheney would probably have a nice dinner together as long as we don't talk about politics, <laughs> right? But I so admire her right now for the stand she's taking on the January 6th commission for pitting herself on the line so that truth can be heard. And so she's putting her seat in jeopardy. She, all her Republican colleagues are going after her the same way as the gentleman from, I think he's from Chicago, um, Illinois. Uh, uh, Adam Kinzinger. Yeah. Congressman. Yeah. Him as well. When you see people do do something like that, no matter how we may disagree on 98% of everything else they may say or do politically, you got to give them respect, right? And because they are pitting their country uh, in front of their party. And I just believe that elected officials at the state and the local level uh, need to be principal leaders. Uh, mm-hmm. um, I, I hope that when people look at me and how I have led over the last 13, 14, 15 years, that they will say that he demonstrated principal leadership. Is there a tough stand that you would take that people might be surprised that it's coming from Malcolm Graham? Um, I'm taking some, some <laughs> over the years. I, I still have some of the scars to show from. <laughs> Early in the year, my, my, my first was some city council, but I, I was some council before from 99 to 2005. And, uh, my background is supplier diversity, um, uh, and I voted to terminate the city's MWBE program, which you thought I would have, um, I have lost in my mind when I did that. The fact of the matter was that the city was being sued. Uh, there was no way that we can win the lawsuit because we didn't have a, a disparity study. Uh, but many of, uh, of the individuals in the African-American community at that time wanted to fight the lawsuit. Uh, and I said at that time, there's different and a better way to fight. If we're going to spend $10, $15 million to fight a lawsuit that we know we're going to lose, let's use that $10 to $15 million to build a better program. This and is its diversity program? It's yeah. the city's diversity program. Yeah. yeah, so I voted to terminate the program and to create a new one uh, at that time. The only thing people heard was Malcolm voted to terminate the program. <laughs> uh, and so we, 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 we terminated the program. We recreated a new one. Um, we got a friend of mine by the name of Harvey Gant to chair that task force and to help us restructure the program. 
Uh, and today, um, uh, that program that we restructured is, is still up and, and well. Um, we added a loan component to it for minority business owners. Um, we, we would do, we did, we did everything within the scope of the law that we yeah. could and more. And so that was a difficult decision. I, I voted to build the arena when, when the voters voted no by referendum, um, to bring it back uptown. Uh, and I voted to, um, to defy the will of the voters and saying that this is in the best interest of the city long term that we have an uptown arena. Uh, and, um, I so you, you do have your scars then, Malcolm. You have a few scars. <laughs> and I wanted to let our listeners know the Harvey Gantt that uh, Councilman Graham brought up is the was the first black mayor of Charlotte, North Carolina. He integrated Clemson and he had two hard fought, though he lost Senate races against uh, then Senator Jesse Helms. So you got the top. To help you with that. I needed help. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for appearing uh, on Equal Time and speaking with our listeners, Malcolm. I know they learned a lot and got a lot of perspective. And uh, as we talked in the past, uh, you said, you know, Cynthia uh, Graham Hurd was more than a name uh, on the television. Uh, She was an inspiration and her work is continuing to reverberate, not just in the Charleston community, but all over the country. So I really appreciate you coming on and talking with us. Thank you again. Thank you for the opportunity. So what's keeping me up at night? Well, I'm paying attention to the House Select Committee as it investigates the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol by supporters of Donald Trump. I want to know how it happened and what can be done to prevent it from happening again. And I'm also interested, especially in those firsthand accounts of police officers who engaged in hand-to-hand combat against rioters determined to overthrow the results of a presidential election and democracy itself. I'm thinking about the debate over which political party has earned the law and order label and reaction to the officer's testimony might offer a clue. I'm also pondering my own sometimes complicated feelings about the blue and how police reform and police effectiveness need not be mutually exclusive. I write about it in my roll call column this week. Check it out. Now, one equal time listener who's paying attention to recent news says she can't quite believe what human beings are doing to the environment. And listener Linda Brown thinks about how, quote, people are hurting each other today, unquote. Notice a theme? Let me know what's on your mind by tweeting me at mcurtisnc3. And thank you for listening to Equal Time. Please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.